I am Doug Friedman. And I am Meredith Levy. And this is Your Mental Breakdown. The podcast. So how are you, Doug? Getting there. Starting to get a little more settled. Most, most, not all of the work on the house is done. The plumbers fixed the water hammer. So that was great. Nice. And it was... Uh, one of those like, oh, wow, they didn't have to like smash a wall and reinstall everything. They could just tweak something. That was great. But then <laughs> they left and they had no idea why my dishwasher was triggering the water hammer in the wall. Like that shouldn't happen. We don't know what that is, but let us know if it happens again. And I've run the dishwasher maybe like three times since I've been here. I just hand wash mostly. And every time it doesn't disperse the soap. Like, ah, oh, man, what's going on? And I had those, you know, the dishwasher pods yeah, that you yeah. put in. Yeah. And then I, I bought dishwasher liquid, which is different than dish Dish liquid. soap. Right. Dish soap. Right. The dishwashing machine yeah. liquid gel detergent. Yeah, Stuff. That. And there's just a puddle of it at the bottom of the dishwasher when it ran its full cycle. And I remember kind of thinking like, this doesn't make sense. I mean, I know that the, I can hear the motor going. I hear it's on. And I open it when it's done and the dishes are really hot and they're like bone dry. Oh my God. You're putting it in the wrong one? No, I'm not that dumb. Eh. I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot, but I'm not dumb. Okay. I realized, yeah, the dishes are like super dry because they weren't getting wet. Oh, the water line going to the dishwasher was like turned to off. Oh my God. And all I had to do was reach under the kitchen sink and flip it to on. And as soon as I did that, I heard the big like, I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> okay, well. It's sort of, it would be the equivalent of me going, the hot water in my shower isn't working. Well, you're turning on the cold handle. You need yeah. to turn on the hot handle, right? It's yeah. yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. Not as bad. Not as bad. But at least now you have a I dishwasher. I fixed it. <laughs> Good job. You're so handy. <laughs> I am so handy. You know what's exciting? So I'm still I'm still unpacking. I yeah. have not found my silverware. So I have I have dishes, but I don't know where my silverware is. That's amazing. I bought when I was at the last Airbnb, they had no silverware. It was crazy. Well, they had plastic stuff. I'm like, I'm not using plastic. So I bought good stainless steel, not a full set. I bought one utensil, what I think is by far the greatest utensil ever invented. It gets not nearly as much love as it should. A spork? I knew you were going to say there that. There it is. There it is. Stainless <laughs> steel sporks. Yeah. Love these. Absolutely my favorite for everything. Although I did find a, a hole in my theory, almost literally. Soup. Soup is not the best to eat with a spork. Obviously not. You can't use a fork for soup. You can try. And you I have. Could. But everything else, I, I am a big fan of the spork. I love it. Brings me back to being in elementary school. We used to like really get sporks. We did. Yeah. Did you ever get sporks? I don't know. Yeah, we would go through the lunch line. We'd get sporks, but then you'd play sporks at lunch, which is you'd hold one person would like hold their spork, and the other person would flick the the spork by creating that that with the long side would flick it, and you would try to break the teeth of the spork. You guys can't see what Doug is trying to demonstrate, but I can, and it's amazing. <laughs> I'm demonstrating it on my stainless steel that doesn't bend at all, but when you bend that, I bet there are videos on like playing sports, and maybe, for all I know, maybe there's like professional spork leagues where people do this professionally for a living. That would be amazing. Really big sponsorship from soup companies. <laughs> this is Doug's new thing is sporking. <laughs> sporking, that's right. All right. What's going on with you? Forget about me. The weather is, it's just making me lethargic, this dreariness outside. It's still like 60 something degrees. It's yeah, not but like there's it's no freezing. sun. It's overcast. It's uh. like, what do you do? <laughs> just <laughs> be sad. But I will say over the last few days, I had a training. I was lucky enough to do a training in several days of all day training, all day, nine to five for three days in DBT PE, which is dialectical behavioral therapy, prolonged exposure for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh Yeah, it was amazing, actually. Give me three highlights of what you learned that will save me from ever having to do three days. (laughs) Three (laughs) highlights. Um, And one low light. It's amazing. 
Uh, low light was having to sit there from nine to five <laughs> for three days. <laughs> three but days. so prolonged exposure is a type of exposure therapy. So when you have PTSD and you have trauma, you can go in with the therapist. You do both imaginal. So like you talk it through exposure and in vivo. So like in-person exposure, right. To whatever it is that maybe your, that your trauma was. And so. Does that mean that the therapist would take the person to the thing where the trauma is? No, you just, they do it. So, and then we had to like do our own and mine is driving in the rain or like long distances on an open road. So Mm -hmm. you sort of go through the hierarchy of like the littler things that might trigger you like driving at night or I don't know, something small until you work your way up to the, to like driving in the rain. And it's super cool though, to, to look at the hierarchy of things that you could start off doing these little baby steps to get towards it. And also to just Mm. like, look at all the things that get in the way of, of, and again, PTSD is very real, but sure. Even if it's not full blown PTSD, but just things that we avoid or we're scared of. And it's pretty cool. Oh yeah. I mean, exposure therapy, it's a great way to kind of gradually build up your comfort and familiarity with something. So eventually it's not as scary. It might still be somewhat scary, but you have some sense of accomplishment and confidence growing because you've done it on a very small scale. I love baby steps. That's what it's all about. Totally. Because they're baby steps for us, maybe, and maybe for someone else, they're huge. Sure. And even, I mean, take enough baby steps and eventually the baby is going to get from one side of the living room to the other. So you're still going to get there at some point. It's just going to take baby steps. I mean, that's why when we tell our clients that progress is gradual over time and very incremental and they get frustrated that like, ah, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not at the other side of the living room yet. Right. Like, okay, but we're taking babies. Look, you started at way over at that side and now we're almost at the middle of the living room. That's pretty great. Yeah. And I think we forget to give ourselves credit for, and clients for, for all the hard work that, that they've already done. Absolutely. All right. So highlight one was you getting to see firsthand how that prolonged exposure is. Give me another highlight. Oh, wow. Another one. (laughs) Oh, oh, we got to have someone come in and talk about um, psychopharmacology for PTSD. So new meds and a lot of psychedelics are used to help treat it. And it was really interesting because we talked about the study MDMA assisted therapy. Yeah. We talked about that study and they were like, what someone's like, what's the study called? And even the psychiatrist was like, Oh, I don't know. I was like, I do. I was like, we had someone (laughs) on our round table who was in doing that study. So go look it up at the map site or whatever the, I can't, now I can't remember, of course, but (laughs) it was really cool. You could have said, go look it up at our site, yourmentalbreakdown.com. Like, Oh, that's you. Really? I know. We're one of your three listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So that was super cool. And I got to spend time with like two of my really close friends the whole time. So that was fun. Yeah. Wait, wait, oh, you got to spend time with them. Were you physically there? No, I just went over to, to Sasha's and, and Brookie came too. And the three of us sat and did the training together. Yeah. Mother daughter training. I know it was so fun. (laughs) I love being able to bond with my daughter like that. <laughs> People are going to be like, WTF? Meredith has a daughter? No. Not that you knew about. That's crazy. No. <laughs> so yeah, and your client. I was thinking about her during during the training cuz of all her trauma. <sighs> yeah, that's tough. And that's stuff that's it's stuff for her that's getting uncovered as we go. It's not like I mean, some people they know like, "Oh, this is my trauma. This is what happened. This is right. where it was." Hers I mean, you could say, sure, growing up in a cult was traumatic and here's my trauma and this is what it was, but there's so many layers to it. No, she has complex PTSD for sure. I mean, I'm not diagnosing your client, but yeah. And again, one of the other things I, I, I have a really hard time with the word trauma because it's thrown around so much. So one Mm. of the things I really liked about it was we talked about sort of just taking out that huge definition of trauma of having to have reoccurring nightmares and all, you know, and just, and there's this big invalidation trauma where Hmm. can just be exactly what it sounds like (laughs) traumatic invalidation over so much time. Right. What's traumatic for one person might not seem like trauma to someone else. So they will inadvertently or intentionally 
invalidate it. Yeah. Right. By not recognizing that someone else was traumatized. Well, right. But, and, and the actual trauma can just be invalidation. Oh, somebody invalidating you. Like the trauma. I don't think so. I don't think you know what you're talking about. Shut up. See, if I do that enough times, that would be traumatic for you, right? Yes, exactly. When someone continuously is just like, you're stupid, you're whatever, like over over and over. Like, oh, that's not it. No, that's not. No, that's not right. No, that's not it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why people develop that, that we talk about it a lot. And I talk about in terms of the Vader voice, that critical voice saying you're not good enough. You don't matter. That's from having been exposed to some form of, I think, invalidation trauma. Totally. I I didn't have that phrase for it. Now I do. So I'm going to sound like it's something I've been trained in. That's why I wanted the highlights from this training. Now I'm going to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you're not wrong. I'm not wrong. Thank you for validating me. That's a very reparative healing experience for me, seeing as how I went through such invalidation trauma as a kid, which is not true, but I'm just kind of highlighting that as an Sure. Yeah. I didn't say you're right. I just said you're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Nice distinction. Nice distinction. Thank Thank you. I like that. Well, my well-being isn't dependent on your reactions. Good to know. It might be though. <laughs> it just depends. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking for our segue to segue us. So, speaking of Sarah. Speaking of segues. <laughs> speaking of non sequiturs, <laughs> let's non sequiter into non segwit. There's no G in sequiter, dude. What was I saying? Sequiter. You said, Segwinder. no, there's no G. You said non-seg. Well, I was going with Segway and sequitur. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Trying to combine them. Speaking okay. of combining things, <laughs> let's uh, let's combine this episode with the session with my client, Sarah, in therapy with me. That'd be great. <laughs> I'm really excited to hear. All right. Well, you all are about to hear, and we will be right here while you're here, and then we'll come back here and... <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I'm going to stop talking so you guys can hear me talk, but a little more professionally than than this. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question I haven't asked you before because I just take it for granted, but how's work? It's good. Super busy. This week mm. has been more busy than usual. So nice. it's crazy. Like I work in like 10 hour days this week. Wow. Exhausted. <laughs> Like last night I left at nine, the night before I left at nine 30. It's crazy. Wow. It won't be forever. It's just this little growing pains. So it's a little nuts, but they're really great about it. I think that feeds you and your personality, but do you get acknowledged or appreciated for that? I do. And I get it on a global level and on a personal level. Like my one partner I work for, He's always thanking me and telling me how hard I work. He's like, before you started, nothing, nothing ran like this. Nothing looked like this. Nothing was organized like this. He's like, it's clear what you do. I'm not sure if I told you how I ended up getting this job. So I had my kids sort of back to back. So through both pregnancies, I was working full time at a job that I actually really did like. Hmm. That They ended up being awful humans. I had the best job. I was basically just a glorified party planner. All I did, I just planned these massive galas and charity events. And I had million dollar budgets for holiday parties. And like, it was crazy. I loved that job. Then I got pregnant and I got fat and they didn't like that. The front woman of their company. And so it digressed hugely by the second child, they couldn't get rid of me because obviously that's against the law, but they could stick me in the basement with the it guys. So that's what they did just because they couldn't, they couldn't fire me just for getting fat and having a baby. Right. Was that a miserable time? Cause you were, I mean, you were a new mom. I was so hurt. I was offended really, really hurt. Cause I put my soul into that job. You loved what you did. Once you fall out of favor, you start to see all the cracks and you're like, Oh, this place is actually kind of messed up. Eventually they actually did give me an option because they, everybody knew I was miserable in it. And it was like, a, it was like sure. insult to injury every day, walking into work and seeing what I used to do, seeing some new young girl there, 
and walking down to the basement. Like it was starting to eat away at my soul. So we kind of both mutually agreed that it was better that I just kind of ducked out. So I became a stay-at-home mom and got very involved with my kids, school, with, you know, everything. So for like six years. Then we got divorced and I left with, with no money. So I had been out of the corporate world, I guess you could say, for about six, six years. So my first sort of step back into that, I took a job with some friends who had a company. Unfortunately, these two friends of mine, they're more interested in partying and drinking all the time. And I was there doing all the work. So after about three (laughs) years of that, I was like, okay, this is nonsense. So I quit that. There's a part of you when you, you become a mom, you lose your job or you quit your job or whatever happened. And your identity almost shifts. Like you almost forget. Oh yeah. I'm actually this awesome person and I can do all of these things. I honestly felt like in my soul and my, you know, I had a, abusive ex-husband, all of that just really kills you as a person. So I think I lost sight and I didn't have the confidence to just go get a job like I would normally have. Hmm. So I took this job. It was a startup. I'm always doing all the work, not getting any of the pay, but on top of it all, not getting any of the credit. Any. After about three years of that, on the last year, boyfriend, he kept saying to me, you you seem so sad and, you know, you're not yourself. Like, what is going on? It really was starting to kill my my spirit for sure. How did you know? I can feel it. You know, when you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, I have to go to work. You put on Mm -hmm. your sort of brave face and smile. There's not that just sort of dead feeling like, what am I even doing? I was terrified again because my confidence thing, I hadn't quite gotten it back. So the thought of quitting a job before having another job was just like super stressful, but I had to make a decision. So I did it. I went on a bunch of temp assignments and this job, I think it was fate or whatever, I believe in the universe doing that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. So I go in and by the end of the first day, I was like, I really like this place, literally on the first day. And that's never happened to me before. So I was like, "Mm, interesting. I'm like, I just like, I'm very sensitive to, I don't know if spirit is the right word, but We'll say energy, the, the energy of a place. Like you can feel it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the word. So they extended it a week. Then they extended it another week. And then they're like, okay, look, we really want to hire you. So what's it going to take? And I was like, well, you know, I have, this is my annual salary that I want. And this is all these things I want. And they pretty much were like, all right, done. That sends a a definite message. And that's, I think it's a real sign of saying like, we value you. Yeah, it was, it was really a nice sort of affirmation, I guess. I was starting to remember like, oh yeah, actually I'm really good at that. I totally forgot I could do that. Or yeah, I I can, I can handle that. And, and there was a whole sort of period of time where I questioned those skills, which is weird when I look back on it. But at the time I was just like, oh yeah, I'm just a mom now. Where did that do for your, for your confidence? How did that, how did that feel? How did that really sink in for you? I mean, me personally, like I was very confident going in because my agency was there to back me up. Like they, they knew my skills. So skill wise, I was fully confident. The fact that they went so far out of their way to keep me there was really, really an amazing feeling. I love this job. Like I had quite a few jobs in my life because I've been hopping all over the world. You know, I lived all over Europe and anywhere I went, I had to get a job and work to make money. But I haven't had many where I was like, I'd like to stay in this job. So for me right now, at this point, I want this to be my forever job. Yeah. They're, they're making you feel appreciated and acknowledged, which is great. 
it's a really nice thing. And what I like as your therapist hearing this and just learning you, I know of situations that you've stayed in and have felt like you had to. Not just the job. I'm I'm thinking the job, the marriage. The marriage. <laughs> there was a lot of just getting out of bad situations. And I I think that where you are now is I don't have to stay in anything I don't want to. This is a switch. This is they actually do want you and you do want to be there. There isn't any manipulation there at all. It's mm-hmm. it sounds very pure, and that's not an experience I think you've had very often at all. No, it really, it really isn't. It's and it's in both parts of my life at work and in my relationship. Hmm. I, I've never been in a relationship where I felt completely at ease. Because when I first met boyfriend, I was like walls everywhere, right? Yeah. Just came out of a terrible relationship. I need to figure out what went wrong there. Right. Get to know myself. So two years single, just I'm going to get to know me. I'm going to figure out me Mm -hmm. and then I'll figure out if that's even something I want. So kind of the same thing, you know, with boyfriend, we both decided, yeah, we like hanging out with each other. There was no guilting. There was no, it was just a very simple, easy thing. It's really great, actually. Yeah. Those two parts of my life are great. <laughs> <laughs> when you say that with a laugh, is the laugh that and other parts are not? No, I mean, just me as a person, right? Where we started this whole thing. There's nothing wrong with my life. There's nothing wrong with, there's no urgent situation I want to deal with. I want to deal with me as a human, <laughs> me and my, not my anxiety anxiety that I have. There you go. Look at you go. I have a tendency to, if someone asks a question and I know the answer, I tell the answer. And if they don't like the answer, then, okay, go find your own answer. Like, I'm not going to keep trying to convince you of my answer. (laughs) And there's certain people, especially boyfriend, he loves to ask a question but he doesn't really want the answer. He has already made up his mind about an answer, which is fine. It's fine, but I don't have time for it. <laughs> but it makes me sound terrible. <laughs> what I like in this is that idea that you probably have had for a long time, but do not have now, which is when you live life for others, to please others, to make sure they're okay, because you can't do anything wrong. You can't be disliked. That just can't happen. So you live life for other people. You no longer have your own life. You, you're you living their lives. Yeah. You don't do yeah. that. You are telling people like it is, giving them the answer. Whether they like it or not is up to them. The filter I use for things like that is I say, is it honest? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Absolutely love that. If you run through that, like the honest thing, I think you have down. Yes. <laughs> And here's where the other two things come in. The, is it kind? Because mm-hmm. if you're honest, but not kind, you can just be cruel. Here's my problem. Kindness is actually, I think, an issue because I, I try so hard to be kind that I end up not actually saying what I, what should have been said, you know, cause exactly. I don't want to hurt someone's yep. feelings. And I don't want to cause any, uh-huh. any strife. I'd rather that Everybody else was happy, unfortunately. But that's that's just my default mode. Right. Over the last few years, I was feeling like the wear and tear of what my life had become, which was just working to take care of everybody else, putting all my friends and my siblings and everybody before me. Just the idea of me relaxing and not helping somebody is insane. But I want to sometimes. Sometimes I want to. (laughs) You don't allow yourself yet. And I I don't know if you remember what the homework was for the week. I do. I do. (laughs) I do. (laughs) So I think you'll be impressed with me. So one, I stood up for myself to my ex, which I've literally never done. Wow. Two, I got an hour to do this with you. So two things, I I did two things for myself. 
That's fantastic. You just kind of organically, as we were talking, hit on, oh, I can be too kind. I will sacrifice myself and make sure everybody's taken care of and everybody's okay, right? And all that. And now you're taking care of yourself. And that's what we're moving towards. And there's something, I love the honest, kind, and necessary because the necessary filter is also looking at, does this thing that I want to say or that I want to do, do I need to do it? Do they need Mm -hmm. to hear it? Because it works both ways. The necessary is it necessary for me? Is it necessary for them? And I think your filtering might have been, is it necessary for them? Yes. Okay. Then I'll do it. No. Okay. Then I won't. But if it was Mm -hmm. necessary for you, I don't know that you ever answered that question for yourself. No. Yeah. No, I haven't. I haven't. And I know that's something I definitely need to figure out. I need to figure out. I say guilt. It sounds like a strong word, but it's actually the feeling I get. Yeah. Just thinking about turning someone down when they ask me for help. Just the idea of saying, no, I'm sorry. Just it gives me actual like guilty feelings. Right. And I'm sure that's not right. It's not about right or wrong. It's about, well, what does that then do to you? Then I feel guilty. So I go and do it anyways. Then it's just a vicious cycle. Right. And you're, you're also robbing yourself of the, the confidence and the freedom and the individuality to do for yourself what is necessary. And sometimes that involves saying no to others to say yes to yourself. You've had a life where you, where it began, where you didn't get any of those freedoms. You didn't get to have any of your own life. You were told what to think, what to believe, how to act, what to do. And it was horrible. Mm -hmm. So the idea of anything that would move the needle away from that, that would move towards what's necessary for you was bad, wrong. You were chastised. You were put in a a fucking shed for days, right? I mean, it's ridiculous to see that that's how people are treated. Children. Children. Children are treated. Even more ridiculous. Right. And, And to be told that Literally, they are children of God. Like, oh, okay, then it's, right? <laughs> it's such an incredible manipulation to where yep. selfish becomes such a negative, such a dirty word. Oh my God, it was. It was like the abominable sin. Being selfish right. was akin to saying you don't believe in God or something. I mean, it was, it was just not even a option. Exactly. If you're not helping somebody, well, what are you doing? You're wasting time. That's what the devil wants. He wants you to waste time because then he can get in your mind. And when I did run away from the cold, I went hard left, like just opposite on everything. I remember extracting a lot of Buddhist principles, which is Mm -hmm. already in my heart, how I believe you be good to others. You have good come back to you. You know, you put out good, you get back good. I, I believe that. And I, that was the only sort of piece of anything that I held on to, which was just, I'm a good person. So I'm just going to keep being a good person and we'll see how it turns out because At that point, I had no education. I had no money. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. And all I had was just a head full of complete and utter crap. (laughs) Right. So instead of trying to go through each thing that happened to me and figure out, okay, was this right? Was this wrong? I just pushed it all away and started again. That's at least how it felt in my mind. Like I was just like, okay, that done this new (laughs) and had to start everything from scratch. So a lot of my, the way I am, the way I am towards people, my work ethic, my basically everything I taught myself, but Mm. my weird hangups or triggers, I know that's from that door there that I closed. I'll never open again. (laughs) 
Right. Even though that door is closed, the mark that it left, the imprint that it left is is there. And and we still need to kind of Correct. unpack that. It's sort of like, you know, if you push your hand uh, into a soft pillow and you take it away and you look and you see, you see the handprint is still going to be there for, for a bit. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's the imprinting that we have. It doesn't mean we can't change it. It just means that there's something there. Yeah. And I think a lot of how you're talking about things, even now, this is part of what you said we wanted to look at, Yeah, is because of the imprinting from back then. Selfish as a bad word. It's not. It's become one and it can be one. We don't want to be selfish at neglecting other people and just taking care of ourselves. I mean, it's it's more about selfish for you means thinking of yourself, your needs, what's necessary for you. Coming from that place first, not coming from that place only, yeah, but coming from that place first. Well, only will never be an option for me. <laughs> so right, you're a mom, <laughs> you know. And, you know, I, I try and put these mantras in my head, like, okay, self-care. If I do this, am I taking care of myself? Because if I don't keep, take care of myself, I can't take care of my kids and blah, blah, blah. And in the end, I just still haven't really found a way to, um, <laughs> to just not be the yes man all the time. And sometimes very, very much to my unhappiness. I'm balancing that with your, your, what you call your mama bear mentality, right? Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of that is in part being the caregiver for my siblings, for everybody coming out of this cult, for my kids. Mm-hmm. And the kids were, are always going to be your kids. So that will yeah. always be there. And if you remember, if you're flying on an airplane with your kids and you hit turbulence, you know what you do, right? I know. And I could never wrap my head around that. Isn't that weird? Okay. I have issues. Every time they say that, I'm like, what parent would do that? Look, if my dog were on a plane with me, I'm putting the mask on him before I touch myself. Absolutely. What I've learned though, and I'll give you an example of it. It's a mentality. I need to work to shift that mentality because If, for example, I take on clients that want to see me and I just say yes to everybody, Mm -hmm. I'm going to have far too many clients. I'm going to get burnt and then I'm no good to them. And this is what I need to learn. Remember my hyper crazy Uh session last week, which maybe it was good that it didn't turn out great. But this is, this is ties into that. On one hand, I make myself indispensable, meaning only I can do this job. But on the other hand, I'm exhausted. Yes. Last week and this week, I'm just, I'm white. And mm-hmm. it doesn't make me upset or hate my job. I'm just, I feel like my brain is going to explode. <laughs> and there, there's there's something about feeling acknowledged and appreciated that hasn't happened when it hasn't happened in our lives, we look for where it does and we make ourselves indispensable. Yeah. And when we've been abandoned, when we've been neglected, we make ourselves indispensable. That's interesting. Yeah. Keep talking. <laughs> what just happened for you? I, it was interesting how you said that. Mm-hmm. There was so much heartbreak for me as a child outside of the abuse randomly at the hands of others. But from my parents, neglect was, it hit home because my mom, well, my mom, there's 10 of us. So Mm -hmm. no parent could even, even if they were super mom, they couldn't give each child the attention they deserved. But in a cult, they just have babies and give them to other people, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm a very soft, sensitive person, you know, over the years I've put on, you know, I've learned to put on a good mask, but the, the sting of mom, just leaving us with people we didn't even know. And then just not coming back. Or one time she was leaving and I started crying. I must've been like maybe five and she spanked me for crying. 
like mm. bent me over her knee and spanked me. And I'll never forget it. Wow. Like I told you, a lot of this stuff is locked away and there'll be weird little triggers and I'll see things almost like as if it was a dream that I was seeing. Yeah. There's weird things that will trigger it and it, it breaks my heart all over again. So there's a very real yeah. element to what you just said. And I, it's, I've never made that connection. Mm. Maybe I was feeling so heartbroken and sad that she was leaving because I wasn't good enough or she didn't care enough about me. And that's how I've lived my whole life. Like do it good. No, I'm going to do it better. You need a job done. I got you. I got this. Even if I have no idea what I'm doing, doesn't matter. I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to be awesome at it. And I've never, never understood where that came from. That's a big piece of it. And that, that's part of what we're uncovering. That That's a big chunk right there. And it's some, some of these things we don't realize really do shape how we've become and, and how we are. And we think that being indispensable is a wonderful thing because it feeds something for us. And it's not just ego. It's, it's often very protective. And what we will do and what we will walk through is we'll recognize some of these things, we'll show you to yourself that you're okay, and maybe you don't need some of these protective mechanisms anymore as much, and we'll start to lessen them a little bit and see what it looks like when we're not this way and see what happens. And it's, it's something to experience and it, it's a switch for sure. It can be done. I mean, I think I told you my, my story of being a multitasker. Yeah. And we were, we were vibing on that one. Yep, exactly. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little indispensable tidbit and how I learned I was going on vacation mm -hmm. and I plotted it so that I would take the, the minimum number of vacation days, but maximize my time away. I could work a couple times. I could plug in some hours and I would, you That's know, what I do. of course, of course. That's why I'm saying this. I, I think you speak this language, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm in Budapest and, I, and I'm there. Oh, that's so cool. I've been there. Oh, I, I I'm loved with you it. in the story. <laughs> You'll love this. <laughs> this is no joke. I'm putting together the weekly reports for the team. And I'm working on this thing. And my buddy's just looking at me going, dude, why are you working? Like, oh, you know, they, they, they just can't function without me. And I said yeah. it as a source of pride. And he kind of went, that's a bummer. And I never thought about it that way. That's so, that's so interesting that you said that because I just had a similar conversation with my friend at work. And I was saying there is... I, there's no one else I can give this stuff to because nobody, no one has the same skill set. I, I should say. And in any case, I'm a bit of a control freak. And if it's my mm -hmm. project, I'm going to check it. It's not going to meet my standards and I'm going to redo it. <laughs> there's a concept. I'm just planting a seed. The concept right. is good enough. It means something in psychology. A, a good enough mother is a mother that meets your needs. And a, a good enough weekly report is one where they can just see the information. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't even have to be good. Dude, that's like meets expectations. Exactly. It gives me anxiety. I know. If anybody left me a review that said meets expectations, I'll be like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> yeah. 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 You, re you ready for this? Uh, getting A's in school is great, right? But B is still above average. A C, yes. a C is average, right? Yep. Meets expectations. <laughs> but are you ready to trip out? Mm -hmm. A D is still passing. Oh my God. Really? A D is an F is failing. A D is still passing. In fact, the, the exams to get licensed for us, 200 question exam, you need to get 120 right in order to pass. Mm -hmm. That means 60%. A 60% wow. is passing. That's a D. That's, that's probably a D minus. It's quite possible, <laughs> quite possible. And you don't find out your grade if you pass. You only find out how many you got or missed if you fail. So it's quite mm -hmm. possible 
I got a 61% on the exam. I'm a D therapist, <laughs> <laughs> you know? But my point is somebody got a 61% and somebody that got 99% doesn't matter. They have both passed and become therapists. Yep. So the idea of good enough, it doesn't mean you have to be bad. It just means we need to pass. And it's not a concept I want you thinking about too much now. I mean, I'd have to lower my own standards because I right. don't believe anybody else has the standards. This is a preview. We'll get to this concept. <laughs> I, I'm not going to bring you down to something substandard for you. That's not okay. I will not do that. What we might do is bring the standard down a little bit so you don't have such a high standard for yourself that you constantly have to reach that is going to burn you out. Okay. And you won't keep such a high standard around you. It takes some work. We'll get there. Yes. But we're, we're unpacking a lot of this and, and where it comes from is that in part, just this piece is that being indispensable. So I'm needed. So I'm, I'm, I'm valued. So I won't be abandoned. So I won't be bad. That was heavy. I'm going to think about that a lot Yeah. this week. That one really hit home uh, like a lot. I think you really hit something there. And this is exactly what I told you at the beginning. This is what I want. I want to hit things that actually mean something to me. Thank you, Doug. You're very welcome. Thank yourself because you're, remember, this is something you're doing for you. And we are back. Yes, we are. Hello. It's been so long. Okay. So question. Not that there's an answer yeah. necessarily, but you guys start out talking about work again. And my note says WTF is her job. <laughs> <laughs> do we know? Do we know what she does? I don't think we do. Uh, not entirely. I mean, it's... Okay. It's a corporate gig. It's a company. They take good care of her. She really does like it. Yeah. We heard okay. somewhat in this episode, but it's, if I started telling you about like, oh, she runs the operations for the audit department of this and that, and they do this and they do that. Like, yeah, yeah. We had one session where I think I was telling you in the intro to it that she and I geeked out over Excel, doing Excel spreadsheets and, and this, and I clipped like, I mean, it was probably about five to 10 minutes of us just talking about how we use Excel and, and how that works. And for me and Sarah, it was part of the the building our rapport in our relationship, which is important. And that's something right. you guys don't necessarily get to hear. I don't think you would enjoy it, but it's sort of, it's more about in the room, what she and I are doing to kind of build right. that, that trust, that rapport. And hopefully you guys do that if you are in therapy or you are a therapist, that that's something you do spend time doing. It's not just right. get right into the problems, get right into the issues, get right into the patterns. You actually take some time to kind of relate to the life of the person. Yeah, absolutely. And then I just was curious. So, yeah. Yes. My first sessions definitely are more information gathering about a lot of times about the person rather than their quote unquote problems or whatever brought them to therapy. Right. I've even worked with a few like uh, well-known people or like moderate celebrities. So you know, like who they are and what they do. But I always ask them about their relationship to their job, to what they do, to how it works. Because it's, I never take for granted that I know what somebody does necessarily. I want to know how they approach what they do, how their relationship is to what they do and, yeah. and how they do it. Right. Totally. She was saying that, yeah, she definitely gets acknowledged and appreciated in this job. She's working her ass off right now and like a lot of work, but that my notes make me laugh, by the way. <laughs> it says old job, comma, prego, comma, fat, comma, put in the basement. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, that's literally what she said. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I was, I mean, that's, for, I'm laughing because of my notes, but that's so fucked up. Like, Oh my God, that is so horrible and also happens frequently yeah. with women and just not okay. So 
it sounds like she definitely for now is like, she said it was her forever job. I thought it was so cute. It really made me smile. Yeah. You're forever person or the dog goes to his forever home and this is her forever job. I was like, Oh, cute. And that was sort of like what I was kind of looking at, like, well, what makes it the forever for you? Part of it is, is loving what you do and feeling like you have some mastery over what you do. Like you're good at it. You can still grow. She even said like, oh yeah, growing pains right now. That's okay. But I think it's really when you feel like safe and settled, you like the working environment, the people take good care of you. And that's why she, she mentioned that, that old job, which seemed like a good idea at the time. It was, you know, one of her old friends and cool. I know these people and let's do this. And she said it was a really fun job because they threw these huge, like million dollar parties and galas and events. And right. Until she got removed from the forefront because she was fat and pregnant. Fucking assholes. (laughs) Judgmentally speaking. She was hurt. She was offended. She loved what she did. She liked the people. And and that's, I loved, I love that line where she said, you know, once you fall out of favor, you see all the cracks and you're like, oh, right. You know, and how many times have you been in a relationship with somebody where once you start ending it, then you kind of look back and reflect and go, oh, wait those are all the cracks. Those are all those red flags. Those are all the things that I overlooked because the other stuff was so great. Man, I pretty much like live in the cracks the whole time. (laughs) 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 No, yes, I get it. She also mentioned during that time, like she, as a mom kind of forgot who she was and then added in that, uh, the abusive relationship. And right after that, two years of being single for her to get to know herself and then figure it out. Yeah. And for her, it was having these two kids and her world was the kids for a long time. Then she gets divorced and being out of the corporate world and into just being a mom and taking care of things. And okay, here's what I do. And, and then getting a re-entry into work. And it was this experience with these previous friends of hers. Right. Something that, that I thought was really interesting I think a lot of us go through this is she had her, her confidence shaken. I don't know if I can do this. Like she said, you know, terrified, like working again. I don't know if I can do it. I've been out of it for so long and it's, I don't even know what this world is like anymore. And we start to get into it and the energy of it and we like it and we, we get swept away by that. And I think she did too, by that job. And then coming out of that one where she saw the cracks, it was not right. And then kind of looking for something else and doing some temp stuff. And then, finding a place where she was good at what she was doing. They, they liked her. They actually wanted her. Yeah. They like asked her to come back. That was sweet. And yeah. And then says, you know, my work is great and my relationship's great and I'm at ease. And now I'm just working on my anxiety. And then she rephrase, she like fixes it. She's like, I mean, anxiety. <laughs> right. She heard that yeah. one. And that's, I, I, also realize like you and I hear that and we're like, cool, she's learning. That's great. I'm also very careful of that with her. Like I hear that and I'm, I'm part of my brain is constantly going to be looking at, is that the punishment piece? Cause she uh-huh. grew up with a lot of that in the cult. Right. And the, right. That when corrected, she making sure she doesn't get it wrong. Right. Right. As opposed yeah. to like, oh, I'm course correcting and I want to create this new pathway and this is great. So making sure we have some compassion and, and making sure we're not just rewarding the good behavior and, and we can get rid of the punishments for bad behavior. Like that's, that's black or white, that, that was the cult, that was her upbringing. So even though she did that and corrected, like I said, I, I'm still looking at, okay, how, how is the function of that correction? Yeah. Is that okay? Well, and that leads into, so she did her quote unquote homework Yep. along the lines of what you're saying. Is she doing this stuff because she wants to make sure she's doing what she's theoretically told to do or asked to do. But the ones that she mentioned, I was like, oh, okay. So she stood up to her ex. And then I think she said she carved out time for therapy. Right. Right. And so I was like, okay, so I'm glad you can recognize that as, as doing something different in self-care because she would have carved out the time for therapy anyway. Right. But Hmm. she was able to look at that and say, oh, that is what I'm doing. Like that is self-care. Right. Okay. So you said honest, kind, and necessary. I'm sure I've Mm -hmm. said we've had the same conversation before though. So what are those the three things of two? 
<laughs> life. Before you you take any action or, or say something, you run it through that filter of, is this honest? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Mm. And you're mm. shaking your head. You don't like this. Okay. I mean, what if it's not three out of three? Then it's not three out of three and you make, you make the choice. You can do it, but if you do it knowing this is honest and this is necessary, but it's not necessarily kind, then yeah. I'm, I'm just, okay. But that's kind of being cruel sometimes. It, well, it's what up if, to you. If, something is ne- if something's necessary and it's honest, don't we have to do necessary things even if they're not kind? Well, in a kind way. But what if your boyfriend cheats on you and then, so you decide you want to break up with him. Do you need to do it in a kind way? And should you do it in a kind way while his, some chick is in the bed with him and you walk in (laughs) just making that up, you guys, that never happened to me, but I'm just saying still. (laughs) Right. I, I think, I think that's, that's one where, I mean, look, we can stretch this. I'm using this as a guideline, but we can stretch it and say, it's necessary to break up with him. Yes. And the kind thing, it's more about being kind to yourself in that case. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Is this kind (laughs) right? So if you know that that's what I'm going to say, it might not be kind for the other person. And maybe you do want to like let it fly and let it rip and, and okay, you can do that knowing like, yeah, I wasn't very kind to that person, but that person did something very unkind to me. So I feel okay about that. It's just having the awareness of, of how you're acting and, and how you're saying things and, and sending messages out into the world. I mean, half the shit I do in life is not necessary. And probably <laughs> two thirds of the shit I do in life is not necessary. I, and I think what I like, I don't know, I just thought to myself, like, these are all so arbitrary and relative and in what context and what does it mean to you? And, and also, like, are we talking about serious things here? Are we talking about conversations? Are we talking about walking down the street? Is it necessary for me to, is it always involving someone else? I don't know. I guess I was just a little like, what is this fluffiness that we're talking about here? (laughs) Well, and look, I'm not walking around like the Buddha here. Like I'm not like everything when I open my mouth runs through that. Is this honest? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Okay. Now I can speak. That's not how I function. I, I no, try definitely to not. That. Nothing of what you say is necessary. A lot of the time, it's just funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessary to you, like when we're troubleshooting your tech issues, but necessary for <laughs> the benefit of the technology you're trying to use. Um, sure, sure. <laughs> but it, it's something that I think, as a guideline, when you're stuck, you're somebody that's pretty unfiltered with what you're saying. what me and that's kind of how you are i don't think you ever intend to be unkind or cruel or anything like that it's who you are and how you are definitely can happen though sure but that that's that's kind of knowing how you are if you started to say things with such kindness you would lose your edge and you would lose what's you so you're not going to do that that way it's kind for you. I mean, you are one of the most kind-hearted people I know, and hmm, people might thanks, not thanks. know that about you because of your exterior, your your unfilteredness, your your tough girl approach, the way you just you can take care of anything. Doug, I it means so much to me. I really appreciate hearing you say something like that to me. It just really warms my heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, kindness does not work for you. Quit that. Quit that. Oh god, that just felt gross. Right. Because it's not honest. And there we go. There's the honest one. And was it really necessary? Is any of what we're talking about now (laughs) necessary? It's great. It is. Okay. So back to her. So even when we are talking about in all this stuff, the idea of saying no, she was saying creates so much guilt for her. And at this point, yeah, she says, I can't remember why it was talking about children or something or guilt about saying no. And then. Well, she was saying that, that she's, she's erred on the side of, of kindness because she doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings and doesn't want to do anything like that. So she puts friends and siblings and and everybody else ahead of her. Right. And, And that's where she even then used that as the segue to say, oh, and I did the homework because I stood up to my ex. And that yeah, was, yeah. you know, and then she mentions this and there's two things I did, I did that and I made time for this. And, yeah. and as we were talking about that, it was like when, when she's feeling guilty about something, when she's, she doesn't have the, the confidence or the, the ability to do something for herself, 
and what that was like. And we relate it back to her experience in the cult. Right. Which she mentions in children of God, which I think, I don't know if you guys listeners know are familiar with it. I'm definitely familiar with it. It was pretty big deal. So that's just, wow. Just to know that that's her experience growing up in that is mind boggling. Right. Just right. what a, what a woman. Yeah. I mean, survivor for sure. And we're, yeah. we're working on the thriver part, but survivor yeah. for sure. And that, I mean, it, it was, it was a popular enough cult and there have been stories of people that have come out of it. I think River Phoenix, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, like all of that family. I think it was Rose McGowan. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Several celebrities that have come out and talked about it. And the leader of the cult was imprisoned and did die and is no longer around. She mentioned the difference between selfish and self-care, or did I just note that? <laughs> no, no. You, yeah. Because you what, okay. what she and I were talking about too was the, I mean, the cult literally being named initially children of God. And it was really bent on, this is the word of God. This is coming from God. So you have to do this. You have to be like this. And everybody just kind of went, okay. Right. And being selfish, she described, you know, here as, as an abomination. It's the same as saying you don't believe in God. So in a sense, they were teaching you to not believe in yourself. So sad. Yeah. I remember she said, like, if you're not, if you don't believe in God, it's literally not okay. Right. And, and literally not okay meant you're getting locked in a shed in the, in the dead of summer. Right. I mean, it was horribly abusive and incredibly manipulative. She talked about karma and how she, well, once she ran away from the cult that she went so far in the other direction and looked at religions and stuff, but she definitely believes mm -hmm. in karma. That doesn't have to be anything religious for her necessarily. And I think you guys talked about once again, with your amazing analogies, the handprint in a soft pillow. Oh, right. Right. I was like, damn, Doug. <laughs> that, it makes me miss being in my office with clients. Cause you know, I could say to them and I have many times like, go ahead and smack that pillow. And they'll look at me like, what? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. And they do it. And then you see the imprint. And when we used to do home visits for clients, you know, when we worked at the agency, I would do that. Like if they had carpeting, you know, I'd say, put your hand in the carpet. Okay. Now take it away. And they would stare at it. I was like, yeah, what do you see? And they say, I, I still see the imprint. Like exactly. The imprint is still there. I mean, we're talking about it mentally and emotionally, but even physically, you know, the book, the, the body keeps the score and how we hold trauma in our systems. It's, it's incredible what our, our brains and our bodies will carry around from something, even though that hand is gone, you know, whatever that hand might have been, whatever that traumatic event or experience was, that might be gone and it might seem like you're safe, but that imprint is still there. It still has an effect on us. Yeah, no, it's a really good analogy. So she was also talking about the fact that in a cult in general, much less with 10 siblings, that there wasn't enough attention. Right. And then so sad, her mom spanks her for her crying when her mom was leaving. And that she mentioned feeling maybe she didn't feel good enough. Now she lives her life this way and talking about being indispensable. Yeah. And a lot of it, I mean, there's so much in just what she was saying about that. Like her mom was leaving and she started crying. So she gets spanked. Like, don't cry. Like, don't have that emotion. Don't express that, which is wild. Right. And then that, that thing about being indispensable links to the same thing because it's being abandoned. Well, if I don't cry, I won't be abandoned. But you will be. Right. Because it's happening. Right. Okay, so I need to make myself indispensable, which is something, you know, Drew experienced that too. We worked on, on that with him. Totally. Right? Doing enough, doing something, being vital for others so they won't leave me. And we, we forget to be who we really are. Yeah. We just don't have a sense of that. But it's something she says when she talks about this stuff. And I actually really liked that she realized some of these sessions when I'm telling you these cult stories, there's just weird things that will pop up in my head and I get triggered or I just think of it and remember it. And here it is. And I'll put it out there. And it's heartbreaking. And that's a word she's used several times. And she said it earlier yeah. in the episode about uh, the job, bringing it kind of full circle. She said, it, it killed my spirit. She said that a few times, like this job killed my spirit or being in the cult and having this happen, it, it was heartbreak. 
And it's something that for somebody who's experienced such tremendous heartbreak and breaking of her spirit, man, she is so strong and so incredible, you know, to raise her kids how she is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, to me, it's, I'm just in awe at how she's been able to go through this and give her tremendous props for reaching out and going, Hey, I want to reach a deeper level. Like I, I want to really get through some of this stuff. I still want to grow. And that's to me amazing. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm so blessed to, to have her to work with. That's amazing. I mean, she's amazing. I keep just saying the word amazing, but the idea of being indispensable, I mean, I can totally relate. It's interesting though. Sometimes when I'm indispensable, like if I'm going out of town and I know it's going to be really hard for some of my clients and I love that because I feel needed and wanted and like cared about. And then I also feel so much responsibility and pressure. I'm like, I don't want to be indispensable. No, no. (laughs) I want you to be able to see anybody and it's fine. Like don't, it's so much pressure. And so I think, but at the same time, you talked about that story when you were in Budapest and you realized that, or someone said, oh, bummer that they can't do it without you. Yeah, no, that, that, that was, we were talking about work, you know, and that indispensable, like, right. And for me, I was on, on vacation in Budapest and still keeping up with my job and what I needed to do. And again, she and I geeked out on Excel because there was like an Excel spreadsheet and, and the way a report had to be done that right. I did twice when I was in Budapest because no one else could do it. And it felt right. good to be indispensable because it f- met that need for me, but it also felt horribly exhausting and stressful. Exactly. Yeah. She got it. And then, then we hit the thing, (laughs) the concept that is going to be a hard one for her to really embody the concept of good enough and just being good enough. And that's a a concept in psychology that we introduce, you know, the good enough mother, a mother that just meets your needs. And granted, she's thinking about her actual mother that didn't looking at just that idea of meeting needs. And she brought up, you know, her annual reviews. And we oh, talked the about meets expectations. Yeah. <laughs> meets expectations. She's like, blah. I'm like, yeah, I agree, man. Like I'd rather have an A or an F, which is not actually true, but that's what my mind tells me. <laughs> well, right. But your mind is going, I would rather just tell me pass, fail, tell me pass or fail. Right. When we're graded like that. And the grading system is so confusing for many people because we just think we need to get A's. B's are still above average. C is average meets expectations. I always tell people that C is average. Like, right. And, and here's the real trip. You ready for this? A D is not failing. I know. Okay. This was my other problem I had with you. First of all, <laughs> the Bring it exam on. isn't, it's not 60%. First of all, I looked it up. Cause I was like, you make us sound like idiots. The Some exam is are. 67%. And also the reason is... Oh, so a solid D, not a D minus. My bad. (laughs) Not an F. Yes. And... I never said F. An F is failing. An F is failing. But a 61% would be a D. 67. But also, remember, there are like 30 of those questions were experimental. Right. So anyway, you guys, it just... I think it made us sound really badly bad. Some of us are not smart. And maybe we have experience and, and, and we do pretty well as we go along. But some of us got through the licensing exams as therapists and got a D. And some of us got an A or a B. And you don't know what score you got if you passed. You only find out your score if you did not pass. So there are a lot of therapists that don't clinically know in enough of what they're doing, but hopefully with experience they do. Right. But when people say, God, why are there so many bad therapists out there? Because you can get, as Meredith says, a 67%. I think it's a little lower than that and still pass and get licensed. (laughs) That's a below average therapist. So that's out there. And for all I know, I got a 67%. I don't know. 67 or 97. There's, there's a big discrepancy. And I don't think it's a measure of how good a therapist you actually are. No, definitely not. No. I, I think it's, it's, it's just a standardized test. It doesn't mean that much. But in the example, it was kind of looking at like, here's what it means to be good enough. Right. How do we value ourselves? Is it like, wow, you need an A every time. That's rough to constantly think you have to hit an A. We've talked about perfectionism before on the podcast. And it's... Yeah. I'm glad I'm not one of those people who thinks I have to be perfect. <laughs> 
<laughs> that would be exhausting. But see, you ready for this, Finn? But see what yes. makes you perfect are all your imperfections. Oh, I'm perfectly imperfect. That's right. That's right. That's so cute. Yeah. And on that, that note, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> we are imperfectly leaving you for the week. We will be back next week. <laughs> Love you all. Bye. Bye.